0: Alyssa Gadeski, Alyssa, whenever you're out training and maybe doing something like, I don't know if you ever do like hill repeats or just you're training in an area where there's a lot of other people exercising. Do you, does anyone ever cheer for you? Like random
2: people you've never met? Um, not really because I live in the middle of nowhere now. So I would go with no, but I feel like in Baltimore city, this kind of happened to me occasionally, not always like cheers. You would like be inspired by, but I have a feeling, do you, was, is there a story here? Did you have a cheering section on a recent workout?
0: I, well, I've had a few at a recent workouts, but then yesterday I was like coming off of a long ride and I was going out for my brick run and I was like on this path. And this guy was like, yeah, you look so fast. And he gave me a high five.
1: Whoa. And
0: you know, those first couple minutes of every brick run are just like, they're hard, right? It feels bad. That's why we do them. Cause you got to get used to that, like bad feeling. And there was something about this guy just like going nuts and giving me a high five. And I gave him a high five back and it like made my workout. I really appreciated it. So
2: thank you, random man. Oh, that's awesome! No, that I feel like that is gonna give you some good adrenaline to like, yeah, take you over the hump into where you can settle in, and like, then the rest of the run. I don't know how long it was, but assuming it It was was only twenty minutes. Oh yeah, perfect. (laughs) um... You could you could ride that high from that random guy for at least twenty minutes for sure. So it was, and no,
0: exactly, it totally was, and you know, it is just like those first couple minutes when you come off a long bike ride, those first couple minutes, just, you feel bad. Like I did not feel fast. I felt terrible. And then to have someone say, you look fast, like a random person who isn't like my mom or like yes. someone I've paid to say that. Um,
2: I was like, okay, I must look good. Right. That's awesome. That is awesome. Um, <laughs> I didn't have cheers this week, Kaylee, but I did, I did work out in public around other people. And I, did my first open water swim here in New England. uh, What's the water temp? So this is funny because I have been watching the water temperatures very much with interest, but it's really hard to get a gauge. And they like seem to vary a lot. And you never know if surface temperature is like, this is going to be way different from like, once you're in the middle of the lake. Right. So there's this place called Post Pond here. Um, It's actually in New Hampshire. It's just a few minutes away and it's like a pond, right? But it's a pretty big pond. You can easily swim. Like if you swim the perimeter of it, it's um, I would say you could get close to two miles by swimming the perimeter. Um, And so I was like, okay, I'll go to Post Pond because I have heard that people have been swimming in there with wetsuits. Right. So I know it's swimmable and I'll avoid like the deeper lakes and stuff that I'm sure are like a little bit chillier, but I was like, so scared. Haley, I had just like made this whole thing in my head that like the water is still so cold, you know? And so I get there and there's this beach area. And I, I will say I did notice kids like playing in the water pretty fine with just being. It's usually a
0: good barometer. <laughs> the children, the children out there, like having a good time, yeah. no wetsuit, anything is a good, good indicator. Usually. And there were,
2: there were a couple of like college student groups, maybe it looked like who were like bobbing out further in the water. And so, okay. but again, I was like, I was like, they don't look like they're suffering. But then I was like, they're just tough, right? They must be really tough. And I had it in my head that I was going to test my thermal setup because I wanted to, I need to test it right. For one water coming up in August, where the water will probably be pretty chilly in Sweden at times, especially overnight, like having a good thermal wetsuit and like a plan for, right. For all of that things that you might not normally wear, but like in those times of like being really cold, you want to put on to help, um, get warmer. And so really, I have never swum in a specific thermal wetsuit. I've always just had a standard wetsuit. Right. And even in the cold water, I just wear my standard normal wetsuit. I would just double cap if I had to do anything to like warm up, but Orca, um, is supporting the team. And so I have the pleasure of trying the thermal, like the full real thermal stuff, you know? And I will say, as I was putting on the wetsuit, I noticed it was thicker, (laughs) you know, but
0: like how thick, like, are you like, is it like, Like, um, I think for races, it
2: has to be under like five millimeters or something. So yeah, it's like noticeably like, like, well, the neoprene almost seems the same, but then there's like this layer of like, um, like thermal, like it's almost like, not like a fleece, but like it's something where you would imagine it's like a warmer, I'll call it a fleece, like a warmer fleece lining kind of the inside, like chest area. Right. And then it has this cool thing where, but like, otherwise it really did like the legs and the arms all felt like this. It's not like the fleece is obstructing your shoulder. Oh, so you can, okay. Okay, so those
0: parts are still pretty thin
2: for good mobility. Yes. And then it has this like cool, I didn't think, I didn't brainstorm any ideas of what I would call this thing. But basically, as you pull the wetsuit up, you like reach back and you would normally do the zipper, right? But then it also has this like, Kind of, I'll call it a neck hood, right? It's like you pull the neck hood over, you put your head through, you pop your head out, and then it's like a layer of turtleneck. Like a turtle.
1: Like tur- it is. Yes, it's a turtle.
2: There, someone else has already made a name for this called a turtleneck. So it's like a turtleneck that's like built into your wetsuit that you pull on as like a nice little layer again to like keep water from getting in the neck area and going down. You know how, when you swim in a normal wetsuit, the first area, the water goes in, is like in the neck and it goes straight down your back, like by the zipper line. Right. So this prevents that. And then I was, you know, I was bringing the heat literally yesterday and I had Orca makes like a hood, which is different from like a skull cap with like the um chin strap right is that what it's like the normally you would just have like, like the a cap Neoprene with the cap yeah. yeah with the chin strap so i definitely i've tried that before in the past and i can't swim like i won't swim with the chin strap it's really uncomfortable for me so this is like a full hood and it's neon orange which i like cuz then you're super visible and then your face pops out like a little you know picture scene and then you tuck that that also is kind of like a turtleneck bottom i guess just and you put that and then you zip the whole wetsuit up over that so Hopefully I painted a good picture for everyone here of exactly what I was doing. Does any
0: water get in at all or does it like keep you pretty dry? Cause I mean, that's how a wetsuit works, right? Is that you, yes. you warm that layer of water next to your body, but I'm like trying to figure out how the water comes
2: in. I guess does it like trickle in through your, under your hood. It did not. I did not get any water in. Wow. Oh. I only felt wet on my, my face and my hands and my feet for the first 800 meters when I swam straight out it was, it was like one of the more bizarre feelings I've ever had. Cause I'm like, I know I'm in water. I should be feeling wet and I'm not getting wet. Like there's no water entering this wetsuit and it was a good fitting wetsuit, but it wasn't like, I felt like it was really, really, it didn't have to be super, super tight or anything like that. Like it, it just did what it's made to do, which was pretty awesome. And then, but Haley, so I had to just, you know, cruise a two mile swim to kind of get used to the gear or whatever. And I, after 800 meters, Haley, I was so hot. Like the thermal wetsuit does its job. The hood does its job. I was letting water in every, every 500 when my watch would like, you know, vibrate that I swam another 500. I was like stopping to like let water in, try and cool down. I mean, literally I've never swum in a thermal wetsuit or anything before. And I was so shocked at how well it works. It was really interesting to get Wait, did we say what, did you figure out what the water temperature was? Oh no, but I mean, I feel so. My watch said it was like 75. Which oh my god, I
0: <laughs>
2: like, I mean, I
0: was literally like sweating, I mean, it was so yeah, bad. You're like, it was so the, the only water in your wetsuit is a layer of sweat, <laughs> but it was 75 it was five degree so, water. So, so, and I mean.
2: I, I'm still, I like thought it was a little colder than that, but I don't know. I mean, it, I was so <laughs> I was hot that I believe like it was 747 <laughs> I mean, I was swimming and I was like, I feel like I should not be in anything right now. Like this we're is all the so kids on the shore. On. Like
0: what is that woman doing?
2: <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, they all looked at me also. Cause you have like the orange wood thing on and you're just like, a, lo- you know, you look weirder than normal in a, uh, the wetsuit. <laughs> it was, and I was like, Oh, I think I even made a joke as I like passed <laughs> them about like how cold it is or something. And they all just like looked at me like crazy, but it works. And so now I do feel very confident that going into cold water, I will be fine. I actually feel like I'll be fine. (laughs) Um,
0: I mean, I'd love to hear you test it in like, you know, 50 degree water, that kind of thing. But, um, but at least now you do know thermal wetsuits are warmer. Yeah.
2: I think I just now, well, and now I have the confidence to be brave and go places where I actually do know it's colder. I was, I was like shocked that the post-pot had warmed up that much, but, um, you live and learn. So yeah, there you go. got your swim
0: done. You still got your swim done. Now you have, I guess, practice in case you were in like an extra warm, wetsuit swim, like how to manage that, letting cool water in and managing your effort, I'm sure. And probably
2: rehydrating after did you get some like <laughs> electrolytes and you get some salt sticks <laughs> chews? Yes. Yes. I was like doing all the things because I was like, this was not, this did not go as planned for my easy, peasy little shakeout swim, but, um, but it was good. And our listeners can always also, you can stack up with the work of thermal, thermal items too. If you have a cold water swim in your future, um, the iron women code is feisty 15, I believe for 15% off. Haley, can you verify me on that? I think it's right. I um, have to look it up. I, I don't
0: have it in front of me. Um, but we will, we'll be sure it's in the show notes always are yes. on the bottom of the
2: Instagram post. And, um, yeah, if you have a cold water swim, it's oh, iron women, 15, everyone, iron women, 15 for 15% off at orca sportswear.com. I believe it is. So, but yes, check the show notes. Haley, did you watch any of the racing that happened this week? I, there was a pretty solid performance at Boulder 70.3 that I think the crackling community was excited to see.
0: Taylor Nib, her, uh, crushing it sub four yes. hours. I mean, yes. two oh six bike. I caught, I caught a little bit of it before I had to, uh, head to the gym because I actually had to go to a a very important seven-year-old birthday party this last weekend. So I couldn't sit all day and watch, but, um, but yeah, incredible racing in Boulder 70.3. I mean, it's always a treat when, when Taylor shows up for a race and, uh, I think, you know, watching her ride a bike is, is a thing of beauty.
2: Yeah, it was, um, I was kind of peripherally watching, but when I, when I saw her pulling away, I was like, Oh man, it's good to, good to see Taylor is back. It'll be, Um, exciting to see what she does with the rest of her season. Now that she's back, she's doing
0: the time trial championships for cycling national time trial in like two weeks. Oh yeah. I know. So, which I think will be very interesting. And, um, and then I think it's like the test event I'm guessing, I think is that in August, um, that Paris test event, I imagine will be like a big event for her on her schedule, but I mean, it will be interesting to see what she can do in a solo bike race when she doesn't have a swim before. And when she doesn't have a half marathon after, cause she did very well. I mean, her swim and her run are things of beauty as well, but her bike is next level. I mean, those were fast times and it looked like really good conditions. And from what the uh, commentators were saying, it did sound like they were, you know, pretty good conditions Seemed a little hot on the run. I think that is a very exposed run, but fun to see, you know, just mid season racing still, heating up in all senses of the word and gets you excited for those like US Open, uh, Olympic test event and 70.3 worlds, several Ironmans. There's so many things on the horizon.
2: I know we're in the thick of it and yeah, we're going to keep getting spots for Kona and seeing that women's field just continue to stack up, which is going to be a thing of beauty for the all all women's Kona Um, in October this year. So the
0: other, um, random, random races I saw last weekend, I didn't see this one, but that Alison Baca was like top Mm -hmm. American at the, uh, world mountain running championship is I don't know if I have the exact term there, but it was in Austria. It was kind of cool. There was just like racing for team USA. And that was, she was a guest years ago as a pro triathlete now really tearing it up in ultra running, which you know, between her, Heather Jackson. I mean, there's a few, few women who have transitioned very well from triathlon to trail, like trail ultras. I guess that's kind of like your realm. I think her race was like 80 K, which is a little short for you, but yeah.
2: (laughs) And way faster um, than how I prefer to run 80 kilometers, but she did, she crushed it. And that race, like they actually had really fun coverage. I think what they did was Very impressive. I mean, you hear all the time that you can't do live coverage of ultra distance events. And I don't know, I should have looked to see who was doing the coverage, but whoever was doing it with the YouTube feeds that you could just watch was doing a great job. I mean, they had races, everything from a vertical K, which is basically running like five K up a mountain straight up. That looks so hard.
0: Yeah. I have signed up for one vertical K, like here in Big Sky, but I it was like a year I qualified for Kona, so I couldn't oh, go shoot. do it. Okay. But I mean, it terrifies really me. Really hard. Like, it was like it's only like a, it's like a five K distance, so like three miles, and I put my estimated time as like an hour, and I actually think I like that was too fast. <laughs> like I think it would take me longer than that. Cause it's yeah, so I mean. Steep.
2: It's so see. I mean, for perspective, I think for two of the miles, they were ga- I think this course was like close to six miles or something or five or six, but for two of the miles, they gained close to 2000 feet in two miles. Right. And then they had a little break and then like one more steep push. And it was actually really interesting because they had these cameramen basically carrying like GoPros, right. And like chasing the front women Whoa. up the mountain. And all you could hear in the live broadcast was heavy breathing from the poor cameraman trying to keep up. And like the commentators were just making jokes about like all of the breathing we could hear, which I mean, first of all, keep doing it right. As fans of the sport, like we don't care, we will listen to anything. Right. And all the like cameraman breathing, we need to, to get to watch this race unfold because It was super exciting um In the front, as you're seeing, like what's happening, who's blowing up, and where people are going, and getting the cameras there, and like was really really cool to see. So um, that is so they, cool. Yeah, they got that, but then they also got good coverage throughout the 80k and things like that. So it was a really fun week to kind of get to watch all of those races, and it is it is cool to see Allison crushing it. So congratulations, Allison. Yeah, I think
0: she was like sixth overall. I mean, it was a. Uh, I mean, she's doing so so well, and fun to watch. And then. The other random one was, uh, comrades Sika Henry ran mm-hmm. comrades mm-hmm. ultra in South Africa, which is like, I think, the is it the world's biggest ultra? It's like 20,000 people it's something for 56 like, I mean, miles. It's, it's around 56 it's, miles too. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it's like, uh, you know, a long distance on road though. On pavement, but, and yes. Carla, Carla Molinero, who we've had on the show too. She finished third um, there, which I was like, again, I love looking through like results of races and being like, Hey, I kind of know her.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I think. And that one, I, they switch the direction each year if it's an up year or down year. And I didn't catch which year it is, it was down. It was down. And I,
0: I did read Sika's recap. Um, I have an open invite. I don't know if she'll hear this, but for her to come on the show and talk about it, because I just find it fascinating. And, you know, it isn't one that a lot of us triathletes overlap with, all the time, especially like mid pro triathlon career. And, uh, I mean, I know that she, in her recap that she posted on Instagram, talked a lot about her quads, like screaming. Ooh, Cause I think it's like yeah. extreme downhill, like okay. a lot. And then on pavement. So it's just, Oh, it, like reading some of it. I could like feel my the quads hurting. Yeah. <laughs> like,
2: yeah. well,
0: oh my well, just thinking of it. I don't know. I mean, that'd be a good question for her to be like, how do you even train for something like that? Like, um you just, I mean, cause people, you know, train for Boston, but I think like Boston pales in comparison, I think to comrades, but, but still very, very cool. I read an article about comrades. I think when I was in high school and it's just like one of those races that has really fascinated me, but you know, I'm like, it's good to have those kind of things in the, in the future bucket, maybe I don't know. After sequence recap, I'm like, or I could just, run local races. Maybe watching I need to, I need to check that, that VK <laughs> off my list. Cause yeah. the big thing about the VK was that you get to take the tram down. And I was like, Oh, oh. that's like more my speed. You don't have to actually do the technical
2: downhill. <laughs> Haley, there was one more random race. Actually. I forgot about that did happen this weekend. So my dog max oh. had his first official fast cat race. He is now registered and he was able to do an official race with like legit laser timing and everything for a hundred yard dash on Astro. Yeah. Guess what? Max's time fast. So he had two, two runs. Is he real focused? Like, is he focused? I feel like that's like, they have the lure lure out and then he's chasing the lure. Yeah. And he's very, he loves, he loves that.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm going to guess like nine seconds, like Usain Bolt. (laughs) 7.9.
2: 7.9.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> so, um, yeah, he really, he like loves doing these little runs and we had done two kind of fun run events through a local dog club. And then I saw that this one was coming and it was an officially timed one. And Matt and I were like, we bet Max can easily get into the top 20 fastest dogs in America. Like he's so fast. Right. He's like, and then we went and so he has to drop like Uh, probably like a second to get into the top 20 but um i didn't realize american dogs are fast well so he's like the all-american dog breed right as um a mix and all-american dogs are really fast because i think they sometimes get like the best of certain breeds and end up with like really good running capacities so um but he he did really well it's really fun if anyone um has ever seen a fast cat, you can YouTube it and kind of see what he did, but he was very proud. He got two participation ribbons too.
0: Nice. Congratulations to Max. And um I'm glad you're a proud dog mom. Uh and if anyone else, I did we already say this, if anyone has Wait, oh, we haven't gotten to the mailbag part. I was gonna say if anyone else has
2: questions, but um, wait, we have a mailbag. (laughs) We do have a mailbag. So, our mailbag this week is from Kinley. And this is a great question. It is all about cleaning. So, how do we keep up with cleaning our bikes? What do we use? How do we keep up with the laundry? Do we use anything special or do we do anything special for athletic wear in the laundry? Um, great questions because as Kinley says, the fourth leg of triathlon is eating and recovery, but the fifth is all the maintenance and cleaning that is required. And that is very well said because it is a lot. So Haley, let's start with the bike. What is your bike cleaning routine?
0: Yeah. I mean, this one is hard for me. I do think I, uh, during certain times of the year, I can get to a hose and that is like probably the easiest way. If you can just like hose off your bike, clean that grime off. Um, if you can do it consistently, then it's not as much work. And, but then there are times of the year where it's like too cold to kind of get the hose out. And I'm lucky that I have a hose. You know, I'm, I recognize that I've lived in an apartment for a long time and sometimes just getting to a hose is like really hard. Um, and so in that case I've used like just a spray bottle of simple green or like water and simple green mixture and paper towels and just kind of wiped it down as best i could and and that does usually work and it's it is easiest if you can like put it on a bike stand and maybe take the wheels off and get in there, but that might not be like an every time kind of thing. Um, you know, every time you ride and, and it also depends. It depends if it's a rainy ride, you're probably going to need to wash your bike more frequently, um, and leave the chain and just make sure everything's working that way. If you are, you know, if it's sunny and 70 all the time and no road grime, then you're probably going to get away with less bike maintenance. How about you, Alyssa?
2: Yeah, I would be very similar to you. Simple green is like the best product, you know, dilute a little bit in a spray bottle. And that is like a really good friend for bike cleaning. Um, I always keep like old toothbrushes and just kind of various brushes to get into various parts next to that. So that helps, but hoses are the best when the, when it's hose season, it's like so easy, so much easier for me to do, um, to just hose it, then kind of get in there with all the brushes. Um, I have learned the hard way about not delaying bike maintenance. When you do a wet a rainy ride, um, cause everything will rust very quickly. So that is the one time I'm like super on it. And I try to really make sure I just like clean things down, lube the chain, all of that. Um, and like dry, you know, just a little bit, it doesn't have to be perfect, but, um, you know, otherwise, you know, like you said, kind of depending on the conditions of where I'm riding, I, but I will say you only, usually make the mistake once to not do any bike maintenance for a while because it's not good for your drivetrain. It's not good for your chain. It's not like all of the cassette and like things that are in that area. It's really not great to, to neglect it. And when you take it to your bike shop, cause you're like, things are not sounding good. My gears aren't shifting cleanly. They're going to be like, Oh, well you need an all new everything. And it's like hundreds of dollars. Right. But if you do keep up the cleaning and the maintenance, not only is it like faster, because your bike is clean and it's not getting, um, you're not losing Watts in the like gunk that's stuck in there, but, um, you'll save yourself a lot of money on maintenance costs in the future. So, um, that's really good to keep in mind.
0: Yeah. There are some good, you know, YouTube tutorials, but sometimes you don't even have to do anything that perfect. Just like set a hose and some simple green goes a long way. Um, if you notice noises, like, like you mentioned in your drive train or in, you know, your chains making a lot of noise or, maybe if you have disc brakes and your brakes are making a lot of noise, like that's, that is usually a good indicator that, you know, something needs to be cleaned off. And, um, and so then you can give that area some special attention. Uh, but what about laundry, Alyssa, do you feel like laundry is the fifth discipline of of triathlon?
2: I, yes, we'll say the mountains of laundry with two athletes in the house is like insane. So laundry is something we are always doing. And I, my routine is like simple is better. I use regular laundry detergent pods, right. And regular washing machine. I wash everything in my life on cold on the normal cycle. And I dry anything that feels like cotton. I put in the dryer on low and I do low, right. Generally less like towels and then everything else I do hang. If it feels like if it feels like delicate, like bibs or jerseys, um, really nice, like athletic running tops and shorts, you know, like a lot of my running shorts, I definitely go in the dryer, but like things that just feel like I want them to last longer. Right. I hang dry and that's my routine. I try, I don't use anything special, but I do. I would say most of my athletic wear does not go through the dryer.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I I feel like I do endless amount of laundry and it's like just me and so I can't blame anyone else. But I mean when you do, I just feel like I wear like three or four outfits a day and they get very gross, very sweaty. Um it's not where you could just like rewear it. But um but I don't use any special detergent and you know, when things are new and I have a lot of time, I do hang most things, but I have been known on occasion, just throw everything in the dryer. Cause I'm lazy and tired and the rest of my house is also messy. So, um, that something needs to be done for me. So occasionally, or if I just like, you know, there's like a favorite sports bra I want to wear for my next run. And I know that it probably lessens the life of it, but I don't do it all the time. And when I'm, you know, the other times when I'm, when I'm on it, I, Hang dry and take very good care of things, but sometimes you know something has to give, and I just need that little extra time. But same with like, I think you have to have a little grace with yourself, and and that's where I am right now. You know, going into Ironman,
2: there's just like shove the laundry bottles. through the cycles. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's another one. I, I put my water bottles in the dishwasher. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. like. I just, I mean, I have a, actually a pretty nice dishwasher. That's like something that is rather important to me as I had several, many, many years with like a terrible dishwasher. And that's like one of those like luxuries I just love, but yeah, there's like times, I mean, I think, you know, my house is not perfect right now and you just have to realize hopefully in a couple weeks I'll have more time to organize and vacuum and do all that stuff.
2: Yeah. Kinley, I'm not sure if we had any groundbreaking tips for you, but maybe it just helps to know that it is the struggle is real for all of us. Um, that is for sure. And now is the time you can say if people have more questions, always feel free to send them to women podcast at gmail.com. Yeah,
0: yeah. Send us your questions. We love answering them. And Alyssa, we have a great interview this week.
2: Yes, Haley, today we are talking to Anna strelo a rookie pro from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and she is storming onto the pro scene this season. She raced Oceanside, Marbella, and Chattanooga 70.3s, and we talked to her just after that top 10 finish in Chattanooga. She works full-time as a PT, and we talked to her about that, about jumping from the top of the age group ranks into the pro ranks and her plans for this season and beyond. So we'll hear from Anna next. Anna, hi, welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So just a couple of weeks ago, you ran into the top 10 at Chattanooga 70.3 and placed ninth in just your third pro race. So at that race, you know, we got a little bit of coverage. Um, Ironman did a great job of kind of tracking the, the front runner, Paula Finley, who seemed to kind of bike away for the win. And they were talking about the rest of the spots being a little bit more closely contended. And we could see that in the results, but we didn't get to see a lot of that um on on the video and stuff but you know looking at it on paper you steadily moved up from the swim in the bike capped it off with a 127 run to get ninth place so that's kind of you know what we can see on paper but we'd love to hear from your perspective how that day went
1: yeah um so the swim uh was obviously not wetsuit legal for us as it is pretty warm there um I was really excited for the swim. I have not done Chattanooga since 2019. And, um, I was excited because for some reason I thought, um, you know, river swim, like I, maybe I can stick with the front pack cause I'm just going to be pushed a little bit with the current. No, swim is not my strength and I definitely couldn't stay with the front pack. Um, but I came out of the water 16th and I had my family there. So like my husband was giving me some cues. My sister was there. And, um, then on the bike, I was with one other woman and, um, then was kind of like by myself for a while until, um, Daniel Lewis flew past me. And um, that's when it got exciting for me because that was my first opportunity to actually ride with somebody in a race. Um, I'm used to being kind of by myself. And so I hung on with her, which was really cool for me because the moto was by her for the entire course. And so they would be like filming her and then turn back towards me. And I was like, oh, this is so amazing. And um, I hung with her really until like mile 50 um, and then got dropped, which was super sad because um, we were a minute from the pack of six in front. So my husband was there to tell me, like, just hang on you got one minute to the front pack. And um, so that would have been really cool because I think that would have changed things for me. But anyway, so then I finished the bike on my own. Um, and then into the run, what was really exciting with it being two loops was that I could see the other women. And although they were ahead of me, it was just, it was cool to see like, um, Sarah True running with Jackie. And then I saw Meredith and it was just a really great experience. The run is hard, um, because it's rolling and, Typically really hot. It wasn't too hot compared to 2019. I remember like totally burning up. Um, but yeah, so I was pretty much on my own holding 10th until the last mile, and then I ran into ninth. 19-
0: and you did get some screen time. I, unfortunately I think, uh, Matt Leto called you Sarah Bishop, but, um, <laughs> there was a point when you like passed, uh, Danny Lewis and yeah. they were like, there goes Sarah Bishop. And I think I was like, no, I don't know. That's quite right. But, um, I think they got, I think they got you eventually, but, um, but yeah, it is pretty cool to see yourself up there. And also I think that Chattanooga swim, I, I feel like they've changed, you know, cause now it's 1.4 miles. It's longer. It is, And then like it before you went up hip river a little bit and came down and, right. and you never know, you never know if it's going to be like how fast that current is going to be going. Right. And so you're just like, we'll see. But I think it felt like it was about like a true 70.3 swim this year. Like it totally.
1: Yeah. Totally felt that way. I mean, we were as we were treading water before the start, like you could feel the current a little bit because like all of us were looking at the buoy, like, oh my gosh, we're, we're moving forward. We're moving forward. So I was like treading like, Ooh, this is good. Like I'm going to be in the patch. No, that definitely was not. The case.
2: It's good to be in that mindset though, before the start, right? Like yeah. it's good to, good to have, have that like positive energy, I guess, going for you. I totally definitely. get that. Cause I'm also one that was always looking for river currents. <laughs> yeah.
0: I am. Um, I, I did enjoy watching that. I enjoyed watching the coverage. And Chattanooga was your third pro race, so I think it was your third seventy point three of the year. You did Oceanside, and you finished ninth there, or eighth, eighth. eighth sorry, can yeah. <laughs> I read numbers? But um, and then Marbella seventy point three in Spain, you got eleventh. And so, um, can you talk about about those three races and what you've learned throughout the three? Because I think Chattanooga was your fastest. I know there are different courses, but still, it does seem to seems like you're learning things.
1: Yeah, I mean, each race has been so different. I think, like, big picture has just been trying to get information like, where am I? Where do I need to improve? And just really embracing being able to race, you know, with world champions and Olympians and just getting on the start line. I feel like that's such a privilege. But um, in terms of Oceanside, like, I went in with no expectations because I just didn't know where I would be. And it was amazing. It was so fun that, um, that swim, I was able to stay with the second pack, which was really great for me. That was probably one of my best swims. And then again, on the bike, I was pretty much by myself. Um, Danny Lewis passed me that, that time again, and I did not hang on. (laughs) Um, but Oceanside, yeah, was amazing. Such a fun crowd. I would totally do that race again. Um, Again, I think big takeaway was just going into that race, having no expectations and just getting information. And then with um, Marbella, it was um, just a like the experience of traveling abroad and um, learning like how to adjust to not only the culture, but um, the time change. So in 2019, I went to Nice for Worlds. And big mistake I made there was, it was a Saturday race and I got there on Wednesday and we left Monday. So um, I embraced taking more time off for Marbella and getting there earlier. So we were there Tuesday to Tuesday and um, that was so much better. Just being able to adjust to the time, see the course, do a bunch of, course recon um and just like feeling more adapted while I was there and then yeah and then in terms of Chattanooga it was kind of like how quickly can I recover in the two weeks I also work full-time so getting back adjusting to the time going to work and then basically like just closing my suitcase again and going to Chattanooga so
2: it's been a lot of fun it's the age old question of like, do I even unpack these things? Right. Like what do I, yeah. what do I need to unpack? And, um, you know, it's interesting because Anna, you've been racing 70.3 since 2018. So you're mm. a rookie pro, but you're certainly not a rookie to the distance. So what have you found this year is like different for you racing at the pointy end of the field versus in the age group ranks?
1: Uh I have found so much joy in just racing with other women like starting with the group whereas in age group um you don't really know where you're at because of the rolling starts so it's hard to really race other women um and here I think it has been so fun to see other women whether they're passing me or not but just to kind of all start together It reminded me actually of age group nationals. So I did age group nationals 2019 and then 2021 where you start with your age group. So then you kind of get a feel for who you're with and it's real racing. Um, So I, I would say that's the biggest thing and has been the most fun.
2: You talked about in Chattanooga, like Danny Lewis passing you and that being the first time you could like, like ride with someone. Right. And so you know, a lot of times pro racing is like a solo effort, kind of, you know, if you can't latch onto a group or you can't quite get up there. So did you have any, like, did that affect you at all in those first few races? Was it kind of like, was it a tough thing or did you expect that?
1: Well, for Oceanside, like I said, I didn't really have any expectations. And I thought, you know, maybe if I come out with a group, I'd be able to bike with some other women Um, so with Marbella, I knew it'd be a little bit more spread out because that course is 5,000 feet of climbing. So like, I figured people would spread out right away because of the climbs. Um, and then with chatty, um, again, I feel like it's just been about the swim. Like how, how can I execute the swim and can I get out of the swim and get with a group? So, um, it's just been different for each race. And I kind of expect that going forward.
0: Can we talk a little bit more about Marbella and because I've used triathlon a lot to travel and see different parts of the world. And it seems like you've jumped into that. I think you traveled with, um, a couple people, right? Can and you, you mentioned the time change that lesson learned. Can you talk more about any other lessons that you specifically learned racing internationally?
1: Oh yeah. So I went with my coach Heather and then another friend of um, mine who I train with Carrie and, for one, it was really great to have them there, to, to not be by yourself and have them to, you know, help SAG and do the ride and things like that. Um, but in terms of other lessons learned, um, it's food. <laughs> like traveling for the day, I pack food. I pack my own food. I am very particular about what I eat. I don't have dairy. I don't have gluten. So like arriving to an airport and expecting to find something to fuel my body, uh, is, is just a little too much to ask for airport food. So that's definitely one thing. Like I packed my carry on just like salad with chicken and veggies. I have all my picky bars. I have my nutrition for, um, what I need leading up to the race, like what I want to have before my rides or swim or whatever for race recon. And then I bring, The food that I would want um, for like my previous breakfast, because I just don't expect another country to have what I need. And my biggest fear is feeling sick because I don't have the appropriate fuel. Um, So I would say food definitely is very important to pack and to have.
0: And what was the thought process behind going to Marbella? Um, was it just to get that experience to get more international racing experience just early in your pro career?
1: Yeah, definitely. I wanted to, for one, I thought it'd be really fun to go broad. And, um, I thought that the course really suited me. Well, I like climbing. Um, I'm a good descender. I'm comfortable descending. And with that, um, course in particular, I knew it was going to be wetsuit legal. So I, you know, hopefully have um, a little bit of an advantage there to stick with some other swimmers. And then um, it was a flat run and hot and I love the heat. So all of those components sold me right away.
2: And what about Oceanside? So opening your pro career at Oceanside gives me even like butterflies in my stomach thinking about how competitive that race is always like, and you talked about, you know, you were just going, you were like embracing it, racing with the women and like, and that sort of thing. But, you know, did you really have to get yourself, like, did you have to kind of talk yourself into that mindset? Were you more nervous? You know, are you more nervous now racing in that environment where it's clear to you from the start line, right? Like this is a race. These are the women I'm racing and there's an Olympian right there.
1: Yeah. Uh, I was definitely nervous. I think mindset preparation was definitely part of the training piece of it going into it. Um, but you know, I kind of told myself all of these other women were in the same point I was, I am, um, and you have to start somewhere. So if anything, I turned my nervousness into excitement and just told myself, okay, this just means I'm ready. You know, I wasn't going to do any other training just because I was on the start line with some other really talented, experienced women. I you know, I can only do so much to prepare and I knew it was early season. And so that's as long as I knew I was giving 110%, regardless of who was on the start line, I was happy.
0: And can you talk more about making that jump from amateur to pro ranks? Cause your 2022 season was incredible. I think you were top amateur at blue Ridge, 70.3, Ironman, Lake Placid. Um, when you went into those age group races in 2022, were you, you know, racing for the win? did Did you think this is my last year as an age grouper, and next year I'll be racing pro?
1: Ah definitely yeah, yes, I was. I wanted to really try and figure out like what is what is my potential here and how good can I get going into it? And with last year, Kona was the goal, and i it was my a race. I wanted to perform my best at Kona. So the, like the whole season, I thought, okay, I want to give 110% at Blue Ridge. I want to do my best at Lake Placid because I knew if I was all in for those races, it was only going to help me more at Kona.
0: And then let's wait, can we talk about Kona? I mean, yeah. like we need to talk
1: about Kona I now. I love talking about Kona.
0: Yeah. Wait, you were a third amateur, second year age group, fastest amateur yeah. run, right? Do I have that right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So talk about like going into Kona. Was this your first Kona? This was your first, like you hadn't raced it previously. So to have that kind of result in your very first Kona is a little unusual.
1: Yeah. I, so this was my third Ironman. I did, um, Wisconsin in 2021 and I won Wisconsin. And then I did Lake Placid in preparation, which honestly was probably the best decision because Lake Placid, it's hard and it's hot and it's end of July. So I feel like that's a really good time to do it. Um, and then, yeah, going to Kona, oh my gosh, it was like nothing I've ever experienced. It was like the atmosphere, the people, like, everything I could have dreamed of for race, it lived up to every expectation. Um, You know, like even just getting off the plane, everybody's like so fit and excited and they have all the best gear. And um, it, it was great. It was really great. And I had my entire family with me. I have two siblings. They came with their kids. My in-laws came. um, And it, so we were a crew of 16. Um, which to some degree, I was a little bit nervous about just like leading into the race. Like, am I going to have to like do things with them? Like, is it going to be okay just to like sit by the pool in my Norma tech boots in the shade and like (laughs) visualize my race or am I going to have to go do some stuff with them? So that I was a little bit nervous about, but it all worked out. Um, yeah. And it was just, it was a great day.
2: And what about the weeks leading up to Kona? Did you, you know, so you had like Placid obviously would have to recover from that and then focus on, on that build. Uh, I'm assuming, you know, you've talked about balancing a full-time job that you weren't someone who could like get out there weeks early and kind of be out there and that sort of thing in the environment. How did you like mentally, did you, you know, do anything different than your other two Ironmans getting yourself ready for, for Kona?
1: I think one of the best decisions I made was going to Hillary's camp at the end of August. So Hillary Biscay runs a Kona camp, um, out in California. And I was able to train with her crew. And then in particular, Alex Watt, who is a pro and, um, it was great. Tons of volume. It was so hot, um, hard. I've never done a camp like that before. And I think, Like I said, that was probably one of the best decisions I could have made Um, because I don't get an opportunity to race back or excuse me, train back to back like that. Um, You know, it's typically morning, go to work, evening for me. Um, And so I think that was a really, really good block.
0: And then you mentioned getting to Kona and like seeing everyone who is so fit and all their great gear. And it sounds like you talk about that in a positive way. And I think about the first time I went to Kona and like, I saw that and I was like, Oh no, I need to just like eat egg whites. And um, <laughs> like, it was just like a totally different thing. And so, so how did you prepare for that? Was that coaching or did you, do? You, are you just like pretty confident in yourself? Um, you know, it's a natural trait of a, of your personality?
1: No, it was more so like, I was just excited because other people were so excited, you know, like I could feel the energy of the Island. I feel like it's so real. Um, you know, nobody's like down in the dumps cause they made it to a world championship. Everyone's like, so thrilled to be there. And I felt that. And for me, I also think it, it was a matter of like, it just gratitude that I, I was there and I was able to get there. Cause like I said, the goal of 2022 was to qualify and go. Um, so I think it was just being in the moment and realizing like, wow, this is, this is amazing. And so many people want to get to Kona that don't have the opportunity. So I wanted to embrace every moment I could. And
0: what about the actual race? Because there is a big difference between just getting there and getting third amateur. Um, you know, did everything just play out exactly how you expected?
1: I was going to, I was going for top 10 and I wanted to see what I could do. I wasn't sure how it was going to play out because I heard from my coach and from Hillary, like anything can happen on the day in terms of wind, in terms of heat, in terms of like people, not feeling well because of nutrition or like the poor preparation, things like that. So um, for me, it was just being present in each discipline. Like I came out of the swim and I had no idea where I was and I didn't really care because I knew I had a huge long bike ahead of me. And then in terms of the bike, it was really dialing in my nutrition and hydration because I knew that would separate me from other people on the run. So, um, I was really focused on like grabbing more water, refilling my arrow bottle, having my bars and whatnot throughout the course. Um, and I was pretty much by myself for that like whole ride. Um, so I could focus on that. And then when it came to the run, I think I came off the bike like 16th in my age group. Um again I had my husband there to give me some cues and I just kind of thought okay like 1 mile at a time and each water stop I was like okay what do I need? How do I feel? Do I need ice? Do I need water? Do I need another gel? How is my salt? Um and I just tapped away at each mile and I would say after I got um past like Mile, you know, it's like that 16 to 18 mark. That's just brutal. It was just kind of like, okay, one foot in front of the other, keep leaning forward, just get to the finish, because that was brutal on the Queen K. Just like hot, hot, hot. And the poor aid station volunteers were just getting like killed by age groupers coming one way. Um, you know. Pros going the other way, there they were just getting demolished, and so that was really hard too because I wanted to keep progressing forward and not miss an aid station, but some of them were just just really lacking in supplies, so that was a little rough.
2: And what about post Kona? Because a lot of times. I mean, I would say the majority of people I feel like you talk to about Kona don't have the day that they were going for and don't have, uh, you know, the result that they they wanted out of the day. And so post-Kona blues are definitely like a big thing, I feel like, on the big island in the days after and then, you know, even the month afterwards as you talk to people and they still digest their race. So did that, like, how did you come out of that race? Were you energized? Did you have a little bit, I mean, even when you have successful races, it's a known thing to like, you know, have a little down period afterwards. So how did you come out of something that had gone so well for you and was like something you had really spent the season with your, your sights on?
1: Yeah, it was, I was absolutely thrilled. I didn't expect to execute my race, how I wanted it to go in those conditions around you know the best in the world um and so i was excited i i celebrated and actually we my husband and i got married in 2020 and uh we went right into our honeymoon we went to maui after so we just kept celebrating it was great that is uh that is
0: nice timing i guess if you can if you can put it off a couple years um the honeymoon but uh made it made it count for sure um like your progression you mentioned you've only done 3 ironmans and and i say only i mean 3 ironmans is a lot actually so um but i mean you're still fairly new to the sport but you've gotten faster with each one and that is you know a little unusual and i'm sure it course course conditions and everything like that can play a, a part but still you have like progressed each one um do you have anything you attribute that success to is it is it coaching or is it just uh you know you you Just feel like you get stronger each race.
1: Um, Heather and I have been together for six years. I feel like she knows me really well and she's able to push me. And I think, um, that is a big component of the success. I think another piece of it is, um, consistency. Like I, it really bothers me if I miss something, um, or if I'm not able to execute each session because, um, my time is precious. And so each session I really try and just do my best. And I feel like being consistent and staying on top of things, doing all the little things, um, in terms of like nutrition or like post run or ride, like Mobs, I'm a, I'm a therapist. So I feel like that helps as well. Um, just to know what to do for recovery. Um, I feel like those are probably two things that have really helped. And then just getting experience racing different courses and being in the mix with other women has helped, uh, as well. I, I mean, I've been racing for like five years, so I feel like, um, just the more experience I get, that's helped in the success.
2: And you've mentioned your coach, Heather Haviland, a couple of times now. So can you tell us how you met her and kind of what the relationship is like with you guys? Is she local to you? Do you see her in person? How does that work?
1: Yeah. So um, I went to graduate school in Duluth, Minnesota for PT. And after I moved back to Milwaukee, um, I started riding with my dad and his uh, boys club, if you will. Um, and she actually coached, uh, my dad and some of his buddies in cycling. And so when I came back, he introduced me to her. Um, and my goal at that time was just running and I had just done Boston and I wanted to do another marathon. Um, and my dad was like, Oh, why don't you coach with Heather? So I met her and, um, started coaching with her and then. Um, I actually got injured and so she kind of threw me into the pool and I did not know how to swim at that time so she was like why don't you just aqua jog so I went to this pool with her and that's when I saw like all these elite swimmers with their Ironman gear and whatnot and I was like Heather I am not aqua jogging next to all of these swimmers this is ridiculous so then from there I did some YouTubing to figure out how I could swim. She gave me some swim lessons and um, told me to jump in a triathlon, and I did. It was a, a local Olympic, and I've been addicted ever since. So I've been coaching with her since that was like, let's see, 2016. And um, yeah, she's so she was local at the time, and now she lives in Boulder. And how has she
0: helped you navigate, you know, this jump to professional racing and and planning out your season for this year because it seems like you're more 70.3 focused, is that right?
1: Yeah, um the ultimate goal is to get back to Kona as a pro and right now um we've just decided to really try and get my speed up in 70.3 and see what I can do there and then um maybe jump into a full at the end of the season. Um but I trust her in this plan, so that's what we're going to keep doing.
2: And, and I had the pleasure of training with you a little bit, um, at another one of Hillary Biscay's camp, not her world champs camp. because I would not have been able to keep up very well there, but, um, at the winter base miles camp I did back in January and I was leading the fast group for the trail run day. And Hillary's like, yep, Anna, will be with you. And I was like, Oh Lordy, this will be interesting. So But I will say that you stuck to my casual pace for the fast group of the trail run with like, you know, you clearly did not seem bothered. You didn't seem antsy about it. Even if you were, you hit it very well. And I think, you know, I've trained with a lot of different people of of your caliber and faster when, you know, the session hasn't called for something like that. And a lot of times like the nervousness about slowing down or like keeping things kind of casual is like very palpable, but you had none of that. You seem very relaxed, even talking, like talking to you there here, all of the things. So is that like a strength of yours? Do you think, is it a skill you've worked on to develop, to like trust in training in that sense? And you know, how, how do you approach like being able to go to a camp and, uh, work out with people who aren't going to be pushing you to the fastest, like edge every single second?
1: Well, I think it depends on where you're at in your season. Right. So like January is early and the focus of that camp was space miles. And so there was no need for me to go fast at all. And I've learned from Heather and I think just um, being an ex background that you have to keep the easy days easy. Um, and like I said before, my time is precious. So if I were to push it and get injured, like I don't have, I don't have time for recovering from an injury. So um, it's really important for me to trust the process and yeah, keep the easy days easy. I think another good example too is like from a provider patient. Um, I hope that my patients trust me when they come in to see me. And if I have somebody that has like a tibial plateau fracture, for example, and I have to educate them on progressive weight bearing where they go from 25% to hundred percent weight bearing over four weeks. I trust that they'll stick to 25% that first week and then come back and still be weight bearing that 25% instead of coming in without their crutches and saying like, Oh, I've been walking on my leg. I don't feel any pain. Like it's, it's not about that. It's about your healing process and the time you are in your healing process. It's very similar to training, you know, January is early. There's no reason to go super hard or super fast. So I enjoyed that run. It was awesome. And you
0: mentioned, I mean, you talk about how your work as a physical therapist influences your own racing. Is it, is it hard to, to balance, you know, going to races now as a pro and taking more time off going to camps and that full-time job?
1: absolutely it's totally a challenge um but i continue to see it as such an opportunity like i i love treating my patients and i love racing and um i i don't really see any other option like i um right now this is what i'm able to do and so the time i have to train like i said i don't take it for granted and i i try and execute the best i can it's Hard to juggle both, but, um, but I love it. And if I were able to train and race more, I totally would do that. Um, But it's just not possible right now. So when I'm at work, I try and be really present at work and, um, you know, help my patients heal and get back to their full function. And when I train, I train.
2: And Anna, one of the things I've been impressed with talking to you about and just learning how you approach is your work with sponsors and how you approach sponsorship and how you like do that as a professional. And, you know, for our listeners, it's very unique to get, you know, a resume from someone we are going to be interviewing, let alone someone who has clearly put thought into it, keeps track of their like media files, all of that. Um, definitely a very unique Thing that sets you above other people in their rookie pro years, right um So did you have mentors who gave you that sort of advice? is that something you were just like no, like I know this is the way to do it and you just you did it
1: Well Heather had some experience when she was a pro triathlete she was a pro up until 2009 um, and she had some local Milwaukee Milwaukee community support and so um, I took her advice on kind of putting things together and seeing how I could network and get local support. I, I have a lot of pride in, in my Milwaukee community. And, um, you know, if there was any way that I could find companies that believe in this journey and this dream that I have, and I in turn am able to support them and support local, then, you know, I'm all for it. Um, So that's why I have that. And, and if it wasn't for these sponsors, there's no way I could, I could do this as a pro. I mean, um, I, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to race and to have support. And so um, I put all my energy in trying to find support because I know, you know, if that wasn't there, then I wouldn't be able to live this out.
0: And Anna, we know it's been not very long, like a week since Chattanooga. I'm like, time means nothing to me these days. Um, But, you know, are you thinking toward the next race? Where can we expect to see you in the next, you know, weeks, months, uh, the rest of the season? Where should our listeners be looking for you? Yeah, I will
1: be at Oregon. That's my next one. Downriver um, again. There we go. Yes. That, one, I think,
0: that one seems like it has a little bit more of a current than Chattanooga too.
1: Yes. And I I heard it's... Uh, yeah. I heard the same, which would be good for me. Um, and, uh, I heard that the bike was pretty fun and the run was kind of flat. So yeah, I don't know. It should be fun. I'm excited to go there. I've never been to Portland. Um, and then checking out Salem will be cool. So that's a plan for the next 70.3. And up until then, it's just build, build, build.
2: Well, thanks so much for taking time to talk to us today out of, gosh, busy life. So um, we will definitely be cheering for you in the Build to Oregon. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Anna for chatting with us. And Haley, you pointed out that we've had two rookies on the show this last two weeks, and it's been really fun to get to chat with them. Yeah. We talked to Katie Colville last week Anna this week. And
0: I mean, it's cool to, to see these women and pro ranks having some success early and their reasons for, for jumping up to those, the pro ranks are like, you know, they come from slightly different backgrounds, slightly different reasons. And I think that shows that there is no one right way, but we're happy to have them here.
2: Yes. And Haley, you are far from being a rookie pro you are a veteran pro and we can't wait to watch you at Coeur d'Alene in a few weeks. So the end is near, I feel like for you. So good luck in these last few weeks of training this week. I'm sure it's a big one on tap. Yeah. Thanks. I'm, I'm getting
0: excited and you know, it's, it's fun to be a rookie at times, but I think being a veteran, I enjoy, I enjoy my veteran status. So I'll ride it out these last couple of weeks, but I'll talk to you later, Alyssa. Bye Haley. You've been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski.
2: Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited by Lydia Russell and produced by Ellen Titian. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts,
0: stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening.